Hi y'all, Five Strike Final, JCM Jones, uh, <laughs> taking a short break from the mothership, and also at Dirty Saw Soccer, Joe Patrick from the 92.9 The Game, Dirty Saw Soccer, and the mothership sometimes as well. Also taking a break. Also taking a break from the mothership. Gotcha. <laughs> Great times to be alive. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I think I knew that. I, I, we, go us. Go us. We're doing great. We're doing great. Uh, send work. Um, anyway, uh, Five Strike Final, we're here. We're going to have a short first little part here. If you want to skip this, though, that's totally fine. We got some real meat for you there on the back end of this one, uh, the, the actual full course dinner. Is on the later part. This is just the appetizer, though. We did want to catch up with y'all. We did want to catch up with each other. Just kind of get an idea of what's going on. Uh, not a whole lot of progress on the uh, potential restart front, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Since last time we talked, it's pretty much... Maybe some things have been tweaked here or there, but there's not a lot of news, to be perfectly honest. Which is weird. Like, MLS, not a lot of news really has been... Com- well, I, I shouldn't say that. I Like, The Athletic, we need to talk about. Yes. Deep Throat, who is Deep Throat, uh, MLS, talking to The Athletic. But in general, there hasn't been the kind of, like, bombshell reporting that we've seen from, like, Major League Baseball, where there's been, like, it's been a lot more bombastic, I guess. Exactly. That's my word for the day. Yeah, no, that's a good one. It's been a lot more bombastic, for sure, especially with the way they're kind of angling to to make richer players seem like the bad guys and things like that. We haven't quite seen that yet, at least to our knowledge in MLS. Um, but we have seen a new villain emerge a, a rise from the depths of MLS's information superhighway just to crawl out and completely block the entire thing and, and ruin Don Garber's day <laughs> deep throat MLS is uh yeah hilariously ruining everything um which I think I can say that I don't know um I, okay, I have a theory about this, actually, Joe. And here's my theory yeah. about the the leaks coming out. For those of you who don't know, um, The Athletic has been reporting on certain critical details about the potential plan for a restart. Um, a lot of those have been coming from leaks inside MLS, inside the organization. Play, players' thoughts about said negotiations. Exactly. As well have been contentious. Exactly. Um, so those have all been coming out. Uh, Don Garber, the commissioner, sends out a memo that says, hey, we should really stop these leaks. That, of course, gets leaked. Um, <laughs> incredible. The tweet that The Athletic put oh, out. Oh, it was so good. That story was so good. <laughs> so, so yeah, good. The Athletic has, ob- has obtained a, a, a copy of, of that memo. Okay, so here's my, here's my theory. Here's my theory. So you know how, like, you have certain um, email lists you compile where you send it out at like one a time. Serve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a list serve, anything like that. I just think they forgot to take like Stace Call off. Like I literally totally. I literally think that's it. And somebody's got yeah, it's like a it's like an old email that they somehow still have access to or something that they thought got cut off. Exactly. Yeah. Which is totally fair game and they should have done a better job of purging it. But that's my that we have no insider knowledge. We don't know if that's true or not. But that's the funniest option to me, and I think it's true. That's what I think, too. Uh, I think there's... a Okay, so going back to what I mentioned about them kind of reporting on the players' thoughts on this, like, Orlando City put out a tweet having to, like, clarify Nani's thoughts because he had been... Um, I guess there was an athletic article saying that some of MLS's biggest stars, and they named a few stars, I think Carlos Vela was another one, mm-hmm. and they included Nani in there, 
are said to be yeah, and then it was like a third hand account of like how they're feeling and Orlando City had to put out a tweet like with a quote from Nani saying like that he hasn't talked to anybody uh-huh. about the proposal which I just do not Don't buy. believe it like, all right there's no way you hear there's no way you hear about something that affects your life and your work and you don't talk to anybody they said he's <laughs> talked to nobody on or off the record like he told his wife I don't yeah. know like he's not <laughs> told somebody how he thought about it but um so yeah there may have been like a some team personnel person I don't know it, it is really interesting it's probably somebody so far down the rung uh, but it would have to. I would think it would be somebody who is at least in somewhat contact with these players from a team. I'm not. I'm not saying it would be a communication staffer, but maybe it's like a. Maybe he's like griped about it to like a, a medical person or something. I don't know. Sure. I, I'm almost. I think if it is anybody and not just like an email listserv snafu, it's someone who has some kind of vested interest in not going to Orlando for yeah, two yeah. months, you know? Um, I think they, I don't know, be doing what they could to not do that if they had no interest in spending their two months in a hotel in the middle of Orlando, uh, which, fair play. Yeah, seriously. Yep, but who knows? I was, just, I was just the other day, I was looking at the weather down there. I was like, I wonder what it's like down there today. And it's just, like, rain thunderstorms going all across dot just dotted all across the <laughs> state of florida and it's like oh my gosh this is going to be what it's like there's going to be so many delays of games and stuff exactly it's kind of funny considering the interview that exactly uh, we have with michael parker is coming up after this where he <laughs> kind of talks about how that uh is problematic but yeah it's it's going to be interesting speaking of orlando we i just did a quick uh ask for some questions for our show today uh, somebody asks, um, let me get the name, uh, AL Miss Money, um, why is Orlando considered one of the seeded teams along with Atlanta, LAFC, and Seattle in the MLS restart plan? And that's simply like a World Cup tradition, and I'm not sure, like I guess the Euros would do it too, like international competitions where the host country is typically put in the first group with along with all the best teams. So that's why it's pretty pretty bog standard there i'm not that enthused by this tournament though i gotta say no i'm, I'm not either. i know they're 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 trying to tie it in where like the group stage like the group stage of this tournament will be will count as regular season games but it's just i don't know i don't i don't know why i feel this way about mls and at the same time the idea has this a very similar idea has been floated for the NBA about them doing uh, a group stage yeah. playoff, like a twenty team playoff, and like for that, I'm like I'm all about that. Yeah, no, it sounds like I a blast, that'd be right? Fun. <laughs> um, but I don't know why. Like for some reason, MLS just doesn't hit me with the same enthusiasm. But we'll see. It sounds like it's going to happen. Yeah. So. To be fair, I think the NBA one is different. You have the teams would probably be seated on, you know, how they had done in a, a regular season that was pretty close to being completed. There is something yeah. kind of earned there rather than just throwing every team into a pot and then having some random tournament that, that really doesn't mean anything, you know, kind of come into it. Uh, especially just the, the nature of the sport, you know, soccer's not one you really want to see a whole lot of things like this, honestly. Yeah, I think they're going to have to award the winner of this tournament a CONCACAF Champions League place. And maybe do that in place of Open like Cup. The, U- the U.S. Open yeah. Cup, since that's not going to Well, be- that makes a ton of sense. Why don't they just do that? I, yeah, I, We just like, solved it. 
I think that again, we've talked about this before, but like I think that they would prefer to like brand these things in a different way, but there's these other corporate and business tie-ups that make them it, it, it's making them rebrand it into this new thing so that they can create these new business opportunities, you know, these new promotional products mm-hmm. for it or not promotional, but just like TV contracts and things like that, where it's like, if it's us open cup, somebody's got the rights for that. If it's regular season, somebody's got the rights to broadcast that. And it's like, if they create this new thing, they can create the new, new rights for it. So, but it, it doesn't feel, it just feels so foreign. I think that's why I'm don't have enthusiasm, I guess. Yeah, no. And obviously, like, <laughs> I don't think the quality of play would be completely incredible either. Like, it would all just be kind of, it yeah. would all be very clunky. It would be great to have soccer back again uh, for both personal and professional reasons, you know. But yeah. uh, I don't know. It's hard to get, it's hard news, to get worked up. The good news for the players is that, at least from the most recent thing I've seen, I think from Jeff Carlisle at ESPN, which was that players will actually train at their home training facilities for longer before they go to Orlando mm-hmm. um, than was originally planned. Originally, they were supposed to go in like early June, so like pretty soon here, uh, even though a deal's not done. Now it's looking like they will stay and train, like Atlanta United players would train here in Atlanta until like June 21st or something like that, late, kind of latish June before they go down there. So um, I don't know how that works with like a quarantine situation. I still think they would need to wait like two weeks after they all get down there before they can actually start playing games. And I'm interested, again, I'm interested to see um, testing of these players because I'm seeing it from the Premier League. You know, they're in this stage where they're just constantly testing players and staff during like a quarantine period. And like some like people are actually getting identified as like who's testing positive and stuff. And Right now, we don't really know if Atlanta United players and staff are getting tested. Yeah. Um, if I don't know if that's needed at this stage, but it will be interesting to kind of see because I'm sure there will likely be some positive. Someone's tests. got it. Like that's just the numbers. Yeah. yeah. And I think like in the Premier League, the te- the positive tests have been asymptomatic people. You know, mm-hmm. but those are, that's exactly why you need to do the tests is to identify everybody and just get the status of everybody so yeah, it, it will be interesting to see when all that starts unfolding and all considered with the premier league the the numbers really aren't that bad honestly i mean you, you tested a couple thousand people and ended up with like six i think in that first yeah. kind of run which was really excellent and I think news only like two or three players yeah yeah and so to, you know once you identify that you can go on and and continue to move forward with plans and move forward with everything. I think they just announced a start date this morning, or at least the Telegraph has a start date. looks like June 17th for them. Um, oh, okay. So that's that's huge. You know, you can move forward like that when you have the testing. I will say that I think the Premier League is paying for that testing. Uh, the question then becomes, does MLS have the money? <laughs> they, right. they, do have a, they do have the money, apparently, to uh, hire a search firm. <laughs> To figure out who <laughs> is leaking the athletic people. And it's going to be great when they come back and be like, have you checked your listserv? <laughs> I'm offended that they didn't hire you for this task because... I'd have been great at it. I, I, I guess people out outside of Dirty South Soccer... I guess people outside of Dirty South Soccer won't understand this as much, but Sam is like the PI you want. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've been known to locate people's houses in college it's okay 
uh, uh, f- finding like opposition research. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a uh, one of your great specialties, which I appreciate well, a lot. Thank you. Um, uh, there was something else I, wa- I was going to say about this, but I forgot what it was. So, hmm. well, we have a few more other questions. They're not good. So, oh, do we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, hey, to be to be fair, I'm not having any good ideas recently either. Yeah, so. no, no one is. No one is. Uh, this was your like. You ever go to a restaurant that's got really great entrees and really bad appetizers? Like they just bring out like a really like dry loaf of bread and that's your appetizer. That was this segment. That was the segment because folks, we have (laughs) a really good entree for you. And uh, just this other side of this break, Michael Parker's with us. Um, Anything that people should know about Parky before we kind of get into it? I thought it went really well. It did. I, I mean, I, I thought it was some of his answers were enlightening, things I did not yeah, know. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, kind of, or I think Rob brought this up. Rob Osri, um, the founder of Dirty South Soccer, kind of made a comparison um, of Joseph to Michael Jordan in the, like, after watching The Last Dance. Kind of like when, he, especially that part where he's talking about dragging people who don't want to be dragged, you know, like mm-hmm. that style of leadership, which we can. Uh, say has definitely it's downsides <laughs> like um i'm kind of terrified that people are going to be like that's leadership like that is not <laughs> not always the best for everybody in every circumstance uh, in fact it's more the exception but he did say something i don't want to say it explicitly so you guys can just listen to the podcast for it but that he did say something about joseph in that in our conversation that really made me that kind of reinforced that notion for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, no, very open the entire time though. Very enjoyable to have one. I wish we could have had him for longer, but we didn't pay for the full zoom thing. So, uh, you know, we're staying on brand all the while. Uh, but we hope y'all enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, feel free to send us questions throughout the week. Anything like that. We'll, we'll pay attention to them maybe unless they're bad. What's up, guys? This is Joe. Before we get into this Michael Parkhurst interview, just wanted to give another shout-out to one of our presenting partners, Lucid FC. Uh, If you didn't catch our last show, Lucid FC has now uh, started a partnership with a number of hospitals around the globe to donate face masks whenever you buy one. They now have them for sale on their website. You can go check them out at lucidfc.us and pick one up for 10 bucks. We're in this pandemic, and face masks are... I would say required that they're not required, I guess, by the CDC, but everybody should please wear one. Please, please wear a mask. And if you want to get a cool, stylish one, you can pick one up from Lucid FC. Uh, and also, you can get free shipping at checkout. Just uh, enter code DSS and you can get one. You can also go pick it up curbside from their studio in Buckhead, which is a cool place. Um, but you'll only be able to see it from the outside because you'll have to pick it up at the curb. So, recommend everybody going and checking them out. They've got a lot of other cool clothes, too. It's kind of like a, a urban street with like a soccer influence it's pretty cool it's cool stuff so if anybody hasn't checked them out um definitely go uh check out lucid fc at lucidfc.us and make sure you pick up a face mask if you don't already already have one so uh with that out of the way let's get into this michael parker's interview so patrick we we have a guest i don't know if you know this or not but uh the the single most important human to ever grace whatever this is podcast hdad whatever you want to call it joe patrick the captain is here folks michael parkhurst is right over there parky how we doing what's up guys i am hanging i'm living uh <laughs> life is all right that's about that's about all we can say for all of us i think the most important question here though is is how is deacon 
<laughs> she is amazing. Uh, she's a seven-week-old golden and uh, chewing on everything and everyone. But uh, yeah, just a seven and a half pounds of fur. So she, she's awesome. She's, she's keeping my kids busy, which is the most important thing at these times right now. Uh, a, a question that might rival this, that one, but are you aware that Sam has a tattoo of Jeff Lorenowitz? <laughs> We're leading right into that? Yeah, yeah, I am leading right into that. I knew that there was a Jeff Lorenowitz tattoo out there somewhere. I did not know it was specifically Sam. Yeah, Sam, Sam has showed up topless on the uh, video board, on the Halo board at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, getting his inside the tattoo parlor, getting his... Uh, ninja star jeff yeah. lorenowitz thing that's very true it was like all my worst high school nightmares come so to life. so parky if you knew about it was this discussed like did had, had you talked to somebody about it like does jeff does jeff know that's what we that's been the always the thing that we've always wondered was whether he actually knew when sam is like holding a microphone in front of him Jeff definitely knows. I, I don't like, like, like myself. I don't know if he knows specifically it's you, Sam, <laughs> but he knows that there is a Jeff Lorenowitz tattoo out there. It was talked about in the locker room at some point. Jeff was laughing about it. Uh, so he, he's aware. Well, I, I, I've, I've actually uh, confirmed with Jeff that he knows it's me. I, I think okay. I confirmed it after the, uh, the, the playoff loss. I just wanted to make sure he knew before I, uh, before maybe he got out of there. I didn't know if he was coming back or not. Uh, so we confirmed that, but I'm glad y'all were able to talk about it some. <laughs> it brings me great know. joy. <laughs> <laughs> it was for charity. It's for charity. Um, well, dang. It, well, obviously, weird times right now, Parky. Um, but uh, we understand that, one, you're, you're leaving us in Atlanta, which I think is going to be a bummer for some folks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, bittersweet. I mean, it was it was a really tough move for my family coming down to Atlanta, um, just because we were in Columbus and didn't know anybody when we moved there, but fell in love with it. And we had been living in Europe for five years, so it was really tough on my wife there, not having many friends and stuff. So we moved to Columbus and so family oriented up there, and we loved it and we settled down. And honestly, I thought I'd I'd place you know six seven years there and finish my career. So when that kind of didn't happen, um, my wife was devastated, like, oh, i got to move the kids again. And um, so she was so sad. Um, and so she always looked at it like, okay, well, we'll go down to Atlanta, you know, we'll, we'll stay there as long as you want to play, and then we'll move back. So we still have our house up there and everything. Um, you know, the decision became tougher because we fell in love with Atlanta and Atlanta's support of, of us and the team, myself, the family, everybody. Uh, it's been great. So it was a really tough conversation, but, you know, basically I left it up to her because now it's her turn to work and my turn to support her. Um, you know, I'm going to do some stuff on the side and, and, and whatnot, but um, hers, her career is the focus now. So, um, you know, she said, hey, let's move back to Columbus. And so that's what we're going to do. But uh, I hope to get down to Atlanta pretty often and, and visit and get the games and hang out with some people. You, you took out that line of credit to, to come down and move to Atlanta. Now you're in debt. You got to yeah, repay that, right? <laughs> um, exactly. But I'm, uh, I'm glad we, you kind of talked about that because it – something I wanted to ask you is <clears throat> when you moved to Atlanta, like what were, what are some of the memories you have that stand out about what was different about Atlanta than other clubs you've been at, or maybe what was unexpected about Atlanta when you got here? Um, just like what, what do you remember from that time from like those earliest days? 
Yeah, it was those early days were tough. I mean, it's it's no wonder that uh, expansion teams struggle out of the gates. I mean, I just remember it was like, you know, the the training facility looked beautiful, but it wasn't ready yet. You know, so we were all commuting, you know, up to the Falcons facility. Um, you know, you, everyone's looking for apartments and homes while you're traveling with preseason and you're trying to get visas sorted for the <clears throat> the foreign guys and all of us Americans were, were trying to you know, get cars. And if you've had an apartment, you were trying to get movers and then coordinate the uh, you know, internet and cable, everything, all yeah. those little things that it's just like little things that are a little bit pain in the butt, but really difficult to get done when, you know, you're training twice a day, you're in and out of, in and out of the state. Um, so I just remember like, man, it was, it was tough. It was a tough transition. The good thing was we were all going through it. Um, so we were able to help each other out a little bit, you know, talk about like, Hey, you know, check out this company or, Hey, this person helped me find this place, you know? So there was a lot of that. So, you know, we had that, you know, I guess camaraderie through like this chaos of, <laughs> team bonding through moving. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We were all just being to each other in the locker room. Like, Oh my God, my wife needs to get out of the hotel or, Oh my God, the internet company says it's gonna be two weeks or whatever, you know, <laughs> like just random stuff like that. But, um, you know, so that was, that was challenging, but, uh, you know, dealing with the, the Spanish, uh, language in the beginning, um, yeah. and everything, you know, with Tata being in Spanish and, and getting used to that. And, um, you know, that, that was big changes for all the American guys or all the non-Latin players on the team, just even the way we did training sessions, you know, what was expected and stuff like that, even warm little things as such as warmups, um, you know, everything was just so different. And so it was, it was a big adjustment and, uh, you know, obviously that hit us in, in preseason first and foremost, but uh, first interaction with the fans, like that type of stuff is when you're like, man, we got something crazy going on here, like crazy good. Uh, so, you know, those are memories that, uh, from the first, first days. Well, you talked about the training sessions being a bit different and, uh, Bobby Boswell kind of famously, somewhat famously, I guess, maybe <laughs> our circle. Famous to us. Maybe just us, right? <laughs> uh, talked about how just intense the sessions were. And there was even a point where there were maybe some complaints from, I think there were some complaints from the players, you know, just about the link of training and everything like that. Can you kind of explain what exactly was different about training sessions under Tata? Yeah. Um, yeah, that first year um, was really, really tough physically. Um, you know, we have a sports science uh, department and, um, you know, Tata, we wore the vests, but that information uh, Tata didn't really care for. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, he was old school in that regard and, you know, a lot of us were. So it was like, okay, you know, we, we work hard, we work hard and you keep going. Um, you know, and obviously you guys know Tata didn't rotate a ton either. Um, so there, there were points when, you know, we hit walls and, you know, especially when it started to get a little bit warmer in the season, um, our training sessions, you know, didn't decrease. And, you know, I remember we were still doing Thursday afternoon training sessions. I, they wanted to get one afternoon training session a week. And so usually it was Thursday. Um, but the problem was Thursday, we also played 11 v 11 a lot. So, you know, especially when it started to get warm, we'd be out there playing 11 v 11, you know, at four o'clock, four thirty, you know, with a game, you know, in two days and the thing with Tata and, and, and some of the guys on the team led by Joseph was if it wasn't going well, like, time went out the window like 
let's keep going until it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and sometimes that led to extended training sessions and it was just like, man, we showed up on Saturday and I can remember some games where it was like, you know, we were, we were known for getting out of the gates hot, right. Going, yeah. going after teams really quickly. And if we didn't get a goal in the first 20 minutes, first 25, 30 minutes, or especially if they got a goal, like we hit a wall and there were times in second half, especially where we were exhausted just not able to give it all we had. And um, that was something that, you know, to his, to his credit, Tata changed in year two and got much better with, um, you know, we were banged up going into playoffs that first year. Um, so it, it kind of hurt us a little bit, you know, but it's part of the learning curve. You guys had that crazy run of fixtures too that first year when you all moved into Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was like, because I remember covering it, I was actually working my my desk job my corporate job and it was like trying to get down there to the stadium midweek like every week it was crazy there was like eight games in a in a month or something like that it was insane uh but but you mentioning kind of the the training regimen it's interesting because one of the questions I wanted to ask you about was going back to that leading up to that 2018 playoff run and it's so interesting because I remember after that Toronto loss when we came in to do media I think it was the first day of the week before uh, the playoff started it was like the first time I'd ever seen the team not training. It was just like a gym session. It was like pouring rain, which was kind of fitting of the mood after what had just happened in Toronto. Um, I wonder just like what you remember from that, because it must have been so deflating to lose that game. But then I think I can't remember who said it may have been you, may have been somebody else I saw in the media saying that like the MLS Cup run doesn't happen without that game. Um, wh- what do you think about that? Yeah, it's so funny when you go on a run or a championship run and you look back and you think of like, man, it's crazy how things went and how things developed and what led to what. And I think there are a few things that I could look back and point to and say, man, you know, if these things didn't happen. I'm not sure that we are prepared or we have the mentality or we go on the run that we did. For sure, one is the Toronto loss. Um, it was a real devastating loss to to give up Supporters Shield on the last day of the season and and really get our our, our butts handed to us in that game. Um, going before that was the Red Bull game away. And it was yeah. like a week or two before that game. It was another massive game. We knew it was a massive game, and similarly, we got we got crushed on the day. I don't know what the score was, but it was probably closer than it. Yeah, I think it was been. closer than it kind of yeah, the chances. I, and the third thing was Miguel getting injured. Yeah. I think that um, when Miguel got injured, training went from like up here to, hey, mm. okay, let's pump the brakes because if we get another injury, we're in big, big trouble here. And I think that they realized like, shoot, we cannot have muscle injuries at this time of year. Um, you know, so I think that those three things, when I look back, you know, we were fresh going into the playoffs physically because we were training a little bit less. We were, they were giving us random little sessions off or like even the starters a little bit lighter. They really, all of a sudden were like, okay, Hey, you know, let's, let's tranquilo here a little bit. Um, and then those two losses really gave us the motivation of, Hey, we need to play a little bit different in these big games in, in the playoffs and, and we cannot come out flat and we need to play tougher and win the, the physical battle. And that's, that's really what we did against New York city on the road. And, and that kind of fueled our playoff run. Well, of course, after you guys go from New York city, you go into the, the Red Bulls, uh, the tie 
there. And we have a saying around here at DSS that probably doesn't give y'all enough credit, but kind of hints at exactly what kind of went down in that game. We, we like to say that Chris Armis blew it. Um, and that just kind of refers to, you know, him coming out and then the Red Bulls really kind of seeming hesitant to press, which was very strange. Did y'all kind of recognize that in game? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the things that make Red Bull so difficult to play against is, is that press and, you know, the, the decision of whether to try and play through it or, you know, abandon how you play and play a little bit longer and a little bit safer and not allow them to, you know, win those balls in, in your own third and get right after you. So, um, for sure, we I think we were surprised. Um, you know, and I, I think that we were I, thrilled. Honestly, I mean, you know, anytime that you can have the ball in the back and not get pressed a little bit, um, you know, makes it a little bit easier on the way that we want to play, you know, especially, um, you know, I can understand the tactics of not wanting, you know, Mercedes Benz is different. It's, it's when you're on the field, it's so big and the turf is so fast. And when you've got Miguel out there and Joseph and, you know, Tito, um, you know, it's so fast. And so I know that we can get after teams so quick and get in behind them. And I'm sure they were wary of that. But um, honestly, I think the biggest mistake, on that day that he made was late in the game. He, I think he took out a defender and brought on a forward and we scored the third goal. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if we go into New York Red Bulls up two zero, you know, we're confident, but it's not over yet. And I think at three zero, I think both teams knew like, man, we're going to have to blow it three times harder than Armis blew it, you know, in, in leg one and in order for not us not to succeed, you know? So uh, yeah, that was, that was a mistake for him. And I, and I love Chris Armas. He is such an awesome dude. Um, you know, a great guy um, that I know personally. So, um, you know, I want to get that out there as well. <laughs> I mean, he's a good coach. They, they won Sporter Shield that year. They had the best points record in MLS history that year. I mean, I think he, he did prove his credentials. But, yeah, that sure. game, just for whatever reason. But then you guys go to Rebel Stadium. You, get, you do the job that's needed. Secure that win. But I was just remembered when I was watching the rebroadcast at, um, of that game over the weekend that your ankle got rolled up on in like the last minute of the game. Yeah. There wasn't even that much on the line. There wasn't like the, the game was done. Um, how terrifying was that to think about like wh what was your condition? You look when, when you guys were lifting the trophy on the stage, you looked like you were like kind of br trying to brace yourself as best as you could. <laughs> Yeah, I knew I had rolled it pretty good. I think Leandro actually yeah, slide it was Leandro. slide tackle. Leandro actually Classic. rolled it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I knew it was in a little rough shape. But thankfully, we had I think ten days. I think that was a midweek yeah. game, so we had you know that extra time. So I don't think I trained for like probably you know six seven days after that. Um, so I was thankful I had that extra time. But I mean, I knew that. It didn't matter exactly how it was going to be. I was going to be able to play, but honestly, it felt it felt really good come game time. Probably like ninety ninety five percent. So, um, yeah, I was nervous about it at the time because it was just like you know, like you said, man, man, it's right at the end of the game. You know, we've got this thing in the bag. Like, come on, you know. But <laughs> small thing. I've always kind of wondered about that game because it was so instantly clear that the plan was to just not allow Red Bulls to do really anything they wanted to. It was the conversation before that game uh, really just kind of focused on being as, I'll say it, uh, shithousing, I guess, the entire time, you know, uh, really making it tough for them to really do anything, kind of dark art stuff. 
Yeah, it's challenging when you're up 3-0 because you kind of, I mean, you, you say, you know, you want to play it like you're 0-0. You don't want to just defend the whole time because that's really tough. But at the same time, you don't want to be open at all because you don't want to give away an early goal for sure. You know, we wanted to make sure that that first 15 minutes do not give up a goal. Like, do not give them that mental edge of like, hey, we got a chance here. Um, so I think that it's just natural that, hey, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to risk anything. We're going to play longer. And I think we had a massive chance early in that game. Yeah. Like first uh, minute. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but it was, I think it was Joseph and it was, would have been like the, the, I think it was like 16 seconds or something into the game. Was it that early? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was like the first couple of minutes, but yeah, I remember having that massive chance. And I remember my reaction was like, Oh my goodness. Like if that goes in, we can literally stroll around for 90 minutes here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, Basically, it was just, hey, bunker up, do what we got to do. You know, maybe Miguel and Joseph can create something, but the rest of us are just going to defend. So we've talked about a lot of big games. Um, I w- I'm wondering if there's any game that stands out to you as being a favorite of yours to have played in in Atlanta. That maybe maybe putting aside like a playoff game or the first game. Mm-hmm. And why is it the Houston Dynamo game at Bobby Dodd Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That was like for fans, that was like the best one ever of all time because it was just pure debauchery. But I'm wondering from a player's perspective, like, is there one, is there kind of like an underrated game or something that stands out to you? Hmm. Good question. Uh, I do remember that Houston game. I mean, Miguel's goals were ridiculous. That yeah. Um, I don't know. Those Bobby Dodd atmospheres were amazing uh, to think back on and Joseph scored some ridiculous goals um, along with Miguel in those early days there. Um, I mean, I mean, I know that it's not like, I don't, you don't have to agree with this, but I, I recently, and I think Sam and I have both come to the conclusion that the Bobby Dodd stadium was uh, maybe just like a better place to watch soccer. I don't know. Like shorter, shorter beer lines, shorter beer lines in Mercedes Benz stadium. but man, just like going back and rewatching some of those games, it was just incredible. Yeah, for sure. The atmosphere was amazing. The fans are just right on top of you. Uh, just, I mean, the field itself was immaculate. Um, you know, and it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, we were moving from there into like a $2 billion stadium and all the players were like, oh man, how's it going to go? Like, <laughs> is it going to be as good? Right, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. Um, <laughs> And obviously it is, but yeah, it was, you know, you had that allure, you know, of, of Bobby Dodd and hopefully the team can, I know it's really difficult with, yeah. you know, college football and stuff, but it would be awesome if someday they could go back there and play, you know, open cup games or something to get back in that stadium and play a couple games there. That'd be fun. Well, Joe talked about the, the Houston game. And one of the things that made that so prevalent in the minds of fans was the rain delay kind of led to this, this like Mad Max kind of scene where people were hanging out in parking garages and jumping down and shaking cars and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so all this craziness is going on. What were y'all doing during that rain delay? Can you remember? Man, rain delays are rough. Um, <laughs> that was a bad part of Bobby Dodd. I mean, yeah. there, there, was, there was a few, I think. Um, yeah, it, it's really tough. God, I can't remember what game it was. Um, there was one, I think it was a 4th of July game against the earthquakes too. That was also delayed for lightning. Okay. It was an open cup game as well. Yeah, there w- that was a really bad one against Miami FC or something, I don't or maybe know, Columbus. Our, 
our staff <clears throat> was not great at handling <laughs> rain delays <laughs> because like, the toughest thing about the rain delay is the unknown of like, okay, is it going to be 20 minutes or is it going to be 45 minutes? Are you going to be out here for an hour and a half? Cause, because, you know, especially if you've already warmed up, you know, you want to kind of keep the body warm a little bit because you're not going to get a full warm up, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to keep going and going and going. All of a sudden you get out of the rain delay and you're exhausted before you even get, get back on the field. So it's a really tough balance. And I remember one rain delay, it was, it turned out to be lengthy and like the whole time they were on us about like, Hey, you know, keep your body moving. Let's go. Like every 10 minutes we we're up and doing something. We were all kind of like, man, like I'm going to be exhausted if we ever start this game. Like, can we relax? <laughs> like, can we take our cleats off and just chill? Like they'll give us like at least a 10 minute heads up here. Um, but that, that's the toughest part, you know? And then if the delay goes on a little bit long, you start to get hungry and it's like, do you eat something? You know, <laughs> so yeah. little things like that, but it, it's kind of boring guys are on their phone a little bit. Um, I remember I would be infuriated every time I would see a Doug Roberson tweet uh, <laughs> acknowledging the latest lightning strike and being like, the clock is starting over from this point. <laughs> He's very on top. He's very on top of that. Yeah, Parky yes. talks about though, like maybe the staff maybe not being great at that. As the captain of the team, how often did you kind of have to go to staff and be like, hey, this particular thing isn't working? Uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that some of the guys would have wanted me to do it even more, but you know, you have to find a balance. You can't complain about everything, every little thing that's different. Um, but you know, some of the, some of the bigger things, it's kind of like, you know, Hey, I, you know, for example, um, hotels was a big one hotels before home games. Um, but also when you're on the road, you know, obviously for those guys, those guys, meaning Tata, probably Latin players, um, they're used to going to an away trip and you don't leave the hotel right, until the game. And MLS guys were used to, okay, we get to the hotel, you know, after dinner, we want to go for a walk or, you know, you want to go meet up with a buddy in that town for a little bit, you know, get back to the hotel at a good time. You know, maybe on game day after breakfast, you want to go to a coffee place and grab a coffee, you know, just stretch the legs or something. And, you know, for them, it was like, what are you doing out of the hotel? Like, you know, this is a game, like take it seriously. And for us, it wasn't like we weren't taking it seriously. It was just, you know, this is how it's always been. This is what we're used to. So finding a balance for those types of things was, was really tough. Um, you know, and, and to their credit, they did adapt. You know, we had to do a lot of adapting as well, but they did adapt to year two so much so that, you know, before MLS cup and every MLS cup I had ever been in, we stayed in a hotel. Um, even when we hosted in Columbus, uh, we didn't stay in a hotel the night before MLS cup, uh, mm. which was probably to superstition more than anything because we hadn't been staying in hotels and we kept winning. So they wanted to keep it going, but, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of little things. And I imagine that a lot of that as you know, for you as captain, it was kind of the onus was on you a bit. Am I reading that right? To kind of represent a lot of the other players that like you were kind of the liaison between the coaching staff and a lot of those English speaking players. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, other guys, you know, Jeff and Brad, um, you know, could, could say some things here and there as well, of course. Um, you know, Leandro, um, but you know, definitely a lot of it, um, fell on me and it's, you know, it's just, you know, what do you bring to the coaching staff? What don't you, and what, you know, mm -hmm. tell guys to, Hey, you know, just suck it up or let it go or just deal with it. Um, pick your spots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
I mean, you kind of, um, speaking of picking your spots, you kind of have this reputation as like in basketball, you always hear about veterans picking their spots and stuff like that to be more cerebral, everything like that. Were you ever offended in any way by folks always referring to you as this cerebral player? Because I think when people do that, the, the caveat there is that they aren't athletically gifted or something like that. Um, did that ever bother you at all? No, not at all. Cause I knew that that was my biggest strength. Um, I knew I was never as slow as, as people thought I was, um, or gave me credit for, but, um, obviously physically gifted is, is probably, and Michael Parker's don't really go hand in hand. Um, you know, but yeah, the mind was always my biggest attribute, you know, thinking ahead of, of plays, anticipating being in the right spots, you know, all those types of things. Um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball, some other uh, strengths. But no, I, I was fine with that, with that title, definitely. Do you ever feel like you kind of played in a slightly wrong era? I feel like now your skills as a center back are like some of the most desired traits, like the, the ability to play in possession, move the ball quickly, distribute into midfield. And then when I look back at your career, like it just seems like, criminally few international appearances and like kind of big accolades. I just feel like, especially like when Bob Bradley was coaching the men's national team, I don't, you don't have to talk about him specifically, but I don't know. It just feels like the era where you, where you played a large part of your career, the center back was like this big brute force type of player. And now I feel like your game would be much more appreciated. Uh, yeah, well, certainly under Greg, probably. Um, yeah, yeah. but no, I mean, yeah, for sure. The times were different back then. I mean, you know, soccer in general, every position is probably a little bit different, but center back definitely, um, you know, just like goalkeeper, a lot more is asked of you of your feet nowadays. Um, you know, but no, I think given that, um, when I look back, I, I feel even more proud of, of what I was able to accomplish as far as, you know, being a starter from day one and, you know, leading help leading teams to, to MLS cups and, and getting some caps um, at center back before, you know, transitioning to right back and getting more, um, you know, so I like to think that, you know, there was a few of us that kind of helped lead that, that, that way here in, in MLS. And uh, obviously it's, it's a grander scheme and in international, but uh, you know, in MLS and the style of play uh, of, of the center back, you know, like to think that I was one of the, you know, pioneers of being a small guy and having success aj delagarza another one and jay well, heaps some might say you're the greatest center back to ever play in mls but this is what i was going to get to i don't know if you know this but we have a uh, we have a writer on our site who's very analytically minded and he has written a thing and reposted it many times just to rile people up that confirms with numbers that you just might be the greatest center back in MLS history. And I really hope Sounders fans are listening. They get real fired up about it. So I want to, I want to close with this. Michael Parkhurst, are you the greatest center back in MLS history? <laughs> put me on the spot like that. I did read the article. Um, <laughs> good, good. Somebody sent it to me. I read it and it makes complete sense. You know, you, you can't deny data. <laughs> <laughs> i mean tata might deny the data but you know we, yeah we you know that's true you know we're scientists here and right it doesn't lie um i don't know when i read it i was like man i 
I think I'm better than I give myself credit for. It made me, <laughs> you know, you, you can paint the, the numbers how you want them to, of course, but um, they painted me in a good light for sure. But I think I'm in the upper echelon. I, I don't know if I call myself the greatest. I mean, Jimmy Conrad was really good. Omar Gonzalez, obviously Chad Marshall, Eddie Pope. There's been uh, a bunch of really good ones, Carlos. Um, you know, so to be, I, I think I'm in that class and I, I feel confident saying that, but um the best, I don't know. That's so. It's, I mean, take shoot, the dub. Take, take the dub. <laughs> I'll take it, from you guys. It's it's tough enough to say who the t- best basketball player was ever, and right. Um, you're only choosing from two there usually, but uh, <laughs> no, nah, I'll be in the conversation. Is is good with me, but I'll take it from you guys if you guys think I'm the best. <laughs> we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. Well, Parky, thank you so much for your time. Uh, good luck on the move. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully stay in touch, and hopefully, you'll be able to get down to Atlanta a little bit. Um, and uh, hopefully it's the last we see of you, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I want to stay involved. I'm going to stay involved in the game somehow. And uh, Anytime I'm back, I want to be around the stadium and be around some people and some fans. So I'm sure our, our paths will cross again. Um, but, yeah, anytime you got my number, social, social media, anything, email, reach out. Uh, happy to jump on with you guys. Perfect. But before you leave, anything you want to throw out there, anything you want to promote, anything you want to get out to the folks listening? Um, no, I mean, I'm working with a technology company, but I don't need to push that. Um, you know, we're, we're doing all right and we're going to, it's going to be good, but, uh, no, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time here in Atlanta. Um, I'm honestly so, so grateful to end my career here. Um, you know, to see where MLS came from when I came in in 2005 to where I finished and um, the crowds that I got to play in front of in Atlanta. It was just so special, so awesome to, to finish my career playing in front of consistently 40,000. Uh, just amazing. So, so eternally grateful for all the support from everybody and everybody I meet off the field. It's just so nice, um, so supportive. So it, it's been awesome. And I, um, then because of that, I'll be getting down to Atlanta a lot. Awesome. Well, awesome. We can't wait to see you when you come back. So um, hope everything goes well with the move and uh, we'll see you around. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, All right. Take care.